So today, we, we're not going to finish up Matthew, obviously, because we're going to but we're to the end of a little section of Matthew. After today, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll jump back in kind of the fall. Now, what have we done so far in Matthew, especially this last, what, three or four months we've been doing it? We've been in a long narrative section of Matthew, right? So we've gotten, what, chapters 8 and 9 in the last couple months? That's been a long kind of narrative section. Right after Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down and just does a series of miracles going through. Um, throughout, what are some of the themes we've talked about in the last two months or so? What are, what are some repeated phrases or words you've heard me say in the last few months? had a lot of healings. Faith has been a big component in a lot of those healings, right? They talk about, you know, your faith has made you well, your, your faith has done this. Um, and a lot of what we're talking about has been authority. A lot of what Jesus has been doing has been highlighting authority, showing why people should listen to him, why they should go do what he says, why they should believe things he's saying. Those have been a lot of the kind of themes. There's, there's, those have been others, but those are the ones we've been really highlighting really, really hard. Now, our passage today acts as a transitional section. If you recall, way, 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 way back, probably two years ago, when we first jumped into Matthew, we talked about that Matthew is a book that is divided up into sections. You'll have a long narrative section, followed by a long speech of Jesus. A long narrative section, a long speech. And so we're getting ready to enter into the second long speech section. First long speech section was Sermon on the Mount. Now, we're, we're getting ready to jump to his other one. And so, Jesus kind of technically starts that speech in our passage today. This passage acts as a transition between this long narrative section and this long speech section. So what is, what is this passage about? So this passage is transitioning from Jesus talking, doing, to sending the disciples out. The next big speech section is going to be Jesus sending out the disciples. And so, why don't we put that in the reader? This is Matthew 9. I'll start at verse 27. Jesus went about to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and weakness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were distressed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is rich, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers to gather in his harvest. Alright, what, what's going on here? We start out with, this is really just a summary of the past couple chapters, right? Just Jesus went into towns, villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the kingdom, healing, disease, weakness, all that stuff. That's what we've been reading about the last two chapters. That's what Jesus has been doing. So it's just kind of a nice, you know, spark note summary of everything Jesus has been doing. Just kind of setting the stage of what's been happening to get to the transition. This verse, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, honestly, this transition of compassion is kind of weak. It, it's a lot more intense than that. The Greek word that is used here in other places carries with it a lot more emotion. Um, in other places, it's translated as an overwhelming sense of pity. It is compassion, but on steroids. It is just a breaking of the heart. Um, I found one translation that I really liked and thought about when Jesus saw the crowds, his heart bled for them. So it is just 
Compassion just makes it feel like, oh yeah, he had compassion. It is so much more than that. Why? Why does Jesus have compassion on them? Because they were distressed and hopeless. These two are, are, create an interesting pair, to be distressed and helpless. They were distressed because you get the idea of you're in a bad place. You're in trouble. You're sad. You're in a spot where you're not, you can't get out of it. You're trapped. And the helpless side of it is, and there's nothing you can do about it. Those two together paint a really, a picture that you understand why Jesus' heart bled for them, broke for them. Is painting a picture of a group of people, and us included in this, right, that we're in a bad spot. We're in trouble. And we know it, but there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing we can do on our own to get out of it. Uh, the analogy I thought of for this, and maybe it's a bad one, but maybe I'm a weird person how I read books or whatever. So think of your favorite book. Is there a character in that book that has kind of a tragic story or kind of bad things happen to them? What happens? What feeling do you have when you reread that book? For me, if I'm rereading a book and I know, you know something bad is happening or going to happen to a character, I just, it wells up in me. I'm like, oh, they, this thing's going to happen to them. And there's nothing they can do about it because they're a fictional character. They can't change what they do, but like, I know what's going to happen to them. And it's, it, it's not going to be good. It, it, for me, I almost get more emotional rereading kind of sad stories the second time through because you see the buildup to what's going to happen. You, you know it's coming. You see it characters don't. And so for me, that's a little bit of what I felt like maybe, uh, it's a great analogy, but a little bit of what Jesus is feeling here. The big difference is, we as the reader can't change the fate of that character. Jesus can. And so that's what this section is starting to get at. And then lastly here, they're distressed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. This is a really common analogy um, this is just a couple verses I basically pulled out to the, the biggest of searches. Uh, in the Old Testament, Israel being referred to as a sheep fashion. Just a very common analogy. And it's a good one because it would have been one people would have understood because shepherding, husbandry was a very common practice. Everyone would have understood at the time. And it's good because sheep are real dumb. Sheep really can't be left on their own. They, they are absolutely helpless and dumb. And it just doesn't go well. And that's not to be make this feel bad that we're the dumb sheep, but it's let's be honest, it, it's an accurate analogy, right? Left to our own devices, we we get in trouble. We're we're not smart, but it's just this is a common analogy here. So that's just why I want to bring it in. It's just everyone understood this idea. They're in trouble, and they can't do a thing about it because they're just dumb, lucky little sheep. So that brings us to the last section here. What is technically the start of Jesus' next speech? He then to the disciples, The harvest is rich, but the workers are few. Uh, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers to gather in his harvest. So, obviously, this, this is an analogy, right? This is a metaphorical situation here. So, in, when you have analogies, what means what? So, in this one, let's get some of the big ones out of the way first. The Lord of the harvest is God. That's just what the Lord of the Harvest is in this analogy. The workers are the disciples, and then by extension, us, the 
following disciples. And then the harvest. That's, that's an interesting one here, because what is the harvest in this case? Generally, when the Bible uses an analogy involving a harvest, it's used in kind of a negative sense, as judgment, right? It's used as God separating the wheat from the chaff, and the, the harvest is, is bad, because it's, you know, that's where the image of the Grim Reaper comes in, right? It's a big sigh. That's not what you want to have happen. Here, that's not exactly what's going on. Seems to be a, a little bit different. So what is this harvest? In its simplest, although it sounds kind of creepy, it's, it's people. But it is people to Christ. It's talking to people about Christ. Disciples, these original disciples, going out and creating more disciples. There those disciples going out and making more disciples. Those disciples going out and making more, even more, even more. Down to us. That's what this harvest is. It's disciples making disciples. And in some way you can say that there's still kind of that judgment-ish stuff going on. This is the pre-harvest to get pulled out of the judgment harvest, maybe. You want to kind of use that analogy here? Like, this, the, the judgment harvest is still happening, we're just maybe picking the fruit beforehand. I, I spent a long time trying to think of a really good analogy for this, and it, it just didn't work. The closest I came up with was, you know, maybe someone made cookies, they're going to make those, like, kissy blossom cookies, you know, the paper cookies with the kisses on top, and someone put the, the candy on too early, and they melted, but... I took way too long trying to come up with it, and I, so I just, I just came up and didn't, so there you go. But it's doing a harvest to save before the judgment harvest comes. Now there is this first verse here. The harvest is rich, the workers are few. This is a really well-known passage. It really encapsulates Jesus' message really well. And it makes it sound like it's something that should be easy, right? The harvest is rich. There's a lot to harvest, and not a lot of people to do it. It almost makes it sound like you're fishing in a stocked pond, right? Like the molasses is right next to where Christina and I live there. Uh, the ponds there, they stock them periodically. You can always tell the, the days when they do stock it because they are jam-packed. People know exactly the days they are the most full. So it's really cute because you'll inevitably seeing you know, like grandparents or something out with their grandkids fishing. It's super cute. And they want to make sure they catch something so they feel good, so they go on the days. It's just freshly stocked. It's because it's easy. Yet, we often muse, say, reflect that I just haven't had an opportunity to talk now. I just wasn't given the time, the person, the whatever, to have a, a conversation, a spiritual conversation, a deep conversation, to talk about our faith. So one of two things is happening there. Either Jesus is wrong, and the harvest isn't rich, or we're wrong. I'm going to go with Jesus isn't wrong. That's a, typically a pretty safe bet to go with. So we're wrong. Jesus is telling us there is more work to do than there are workers. Yet we have such a hard time finding the work to use that, to continue that analogy. So how do we fix this? How, how do we get to a mindset where we can do this? Where we can be one of the workers? Going after this rich harvest. Well, verse 37 kind of gives us the first thing we should do. 
great for opportunities. Pray for people to be brought to you. Pray for conversations to be had. And opportunities will be presented to you. Because this isn't something God wants to make ridiculously hard for you, right? That, that doesn't make any sense. God wants us to be easy folks. The first thing we have to do is pray opportunities. Second thing we have to do is we have to pay attention for those opportunities. Because we can spend eight hours a day praying for opportunities, but that really doesn't mean anything if when they go out we don't notice or see any of those opportunities that are being presented to us, right? So we have to kind of get in the habit of tuning our ears, tuning our eyes for these opportunities for people that are open to talk, people who definitely want to talk to you. And the last thing is we need to have the ability to use these opportunities. I really wanted to think of phrases to start with a P, so I couldn't go for my like P squared, which is the P kind of thing. Take these opportunities. Whether you want to use the phrase boldness, courage, whatever you want to call it. Whenever you do notice these opportunities, be able to utilize them. So once again, praying for opportunities, that's a good first step. Noticing them, that's a good second step. But those don't mean much if we don't finish, if we don't utilize, seize these opportunities. It's kind of like if you are a runner and you you are going to run a, a 5K race, say. So you spend two or three months running, eating well, lifting, getting in great shape. I'm going to do it. Say, let's say the race is in Kansas City. So you're going to you drive out there, you're getting close to the race, and then you see McDonald's over there. You're like, absolutely not. I would rather much have Macos than go run. But all prep work and I think getting the race kind of means nothing now because you're sitting having a big man instead of running the race. So what, what would this all look like? How might this play out? There's a couple kinds of interactions you could have. You could have kind of a, a one-time interaction with someone. This is, might be someone you just cross paths with, you have a five, ten minute conversation with, and you never see them again. That five, ten minute conversation could mean a lot to them. It could, you know, in, in the past we, we've, we've used that, you know, zero to ten scale of like, we want to be the person that pushes someone on to ten, but maybe that ten minute conversation bumps someone from four to five. That's a big jump. Like, that's, that's huge. So an example of this is, last time I was the dentist, what, two or three months ago? Um, actually, we probably figured it out, because it was uh, right around St. Patrick's Day. I was um, waiting in the waiting room on my phone, making a graphic for a blog post. Someone kind of noticed the graphic. It was a very pretty graphic, I was very proud of it. Someone noticed it, kind of asked what it was, and that led to, you know, four or five minute conversation in the dentist waiting room. That ended with this person asking, like, hey, can, can you pray for me real quick? Just because they noticed a graphic on my phone, and we were able to have just a really quick conversation. But they could be small, one-time interactions. They could be longer-term relational interactions. They could be an opportunity we see to get involved in a group, in a project, in a community, whatever it is, and build relationships, build trust, and build some amazing conversations. 
example of that in my life. Some of you know I coach um, Special Olympics, and which is why I'm, I'm gone two or three Sundays in the fall because you play football on Sunday, so I have to coach. That's why I'm gone a couple Sundays in the fall. But I've been doing that for almost two years now, and it's I don't come in and you know give a big sermon at the beginning of every practice or do I we, we have to do this ten minute prayer before everything. Doing it because I love these kids and I want to bless them and I want to hang out with them and do something great and love on this group of people, this community. And that has led to some of the most amazing conversations. Some of my athletes will come up and be like, I know you're a pastor. I've never really trusted pastors. Could you answer this question? What, what does this mean? My parents do the same thing. And like, we're kind of leery of religious figures. But, but we've known you for a year and a half now. Could you talk to us about this? It's led me to being able to do weddings for people. That I've gotten to build some great relationships through that avenue. And it started with an opportunity. Actually, started with Lisa Munch. Like, me mentioned, like, oh yeah, I, 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 I used to coach track. And we're like, oh, Special Olympics is looking for a track coach. So this a small opportunity they take, and then watch it grow into something bigger. Watch it grow into some amazing relationships. Now, all this is to say that we will not mess up. We will not miss opportunities. I've told two stories of like opportunities I took. Oh, there's lots of stories of opportunities I've completely missed. Think one of the first examples I thought of was a few months ago, Christine and I were doing a game night with some friends. We were going out, we were going to play some games, and we were really excited. So we got there a little early, started setting stuff up the table, get everything set up so when people showed up, we could just kind of go. We were hungry, so we wanted to order some nachos. This place has some amazing nachos. They're, they're gigantic. Christine and I will split them, and they're still like half left over. We're so good. So I go, I order some nachos, waiting for them to come out, and I believe I have my eco hat on, it has a little cross on it. And there was someone at the bar waiting for their food, and they saw it, and kind of asked a couple questions, or just talking, asked me what I did, like, oh, I'm a pastor in church, you know, just down the road here. And she says something like, oh, yeah, I, I used to go to church. I had some kind of experience with it. What's, what's the church like now? Something like that. I didn't have to say something like that, because I wasn't really listening. I was focused on the, the game night that was happening. Because it's about Christian and I, we're pretty lonely people. And so we're like, this is a group we, we might be like friends with. So we were focusing all of our attention on that, you know. Richard says if you hang out with, a, with, with someone three times in a two month period in a neutral location, you have a very good chance of developing a friendship. This was time two, and so we're like, we, we have to hit this, right? We have to, this has to go well, so it bites back, because we're on the clock now. That's where I was focused. I was not focused on the person standing next to me, literally on a golden platter, asking to talk about Church of Jesus. Not because I didn't care about this person, because I was focused somewhere else. So I didn't have that conversation. I have not seen that person again. There's a good chance I'll probably never see that person again. So it's those kind of opportunities that we don't get back. That if we're not always watching out, always keep our ears tuned, we do this. Because we're so focused on maybe a different opportunity, a different thing happening that we did not notice the person literally standing 
right next to me. So that's a challenge. You know, there's a, a YouTube channel I watch, it's a fitness channel, and the guy's like, you know, obviously really jacked, but has a voice like Gilbert Godfrey, Iago. So it's just this really jacked guy who sounds like Gilbert Godfrey, just really high pitched, but it's really funny. But one of the phrases he has a lot is, when you're working out, when you're doing whatever, it doesn't matter how good you are, just go harder than last time. Be slightly better than last time. Exactly. And so that's what our challenge is. How can we be a little better than last time? How can we live this out a little better than last time? So it could be starting super small. It could be starting to pray for opportunities. That's something we're not doing. Taking one minute a day, 30 seconds a day, is being silent and asking God to give you an opportunity. It could be noticing one or two opportunities. If that's something you've never done before. That could be a scary thing if you've never just had noticed this opportunity and done it, just jumped in. So maybe that's where you want to start. It's just start noticing. Like that, this might be, this might be God putting someone here who really wants to talk to me about this or this. It might be the last, the last thing it could be is having that competition, saying that thing. small. And then once you do that one thing, it'll be another one. Pretty good because lost steps. And, and that was really terrible. That sounded better in my office than I did here. It sounded really cool and that just sounded terrible. But it, but you get the idea, but going forward slowly, slowly, and then you'll build up momentum and you'll kind of keep going. So that's what I want to challenge you. Start right now. Start today. Think of one small thing you can do and see utilize these kind of three ideas here. Go a little further. One small thing. Another small thing. Another small thing. And then in December, I have it in my calendar, and we're going to check back on this on a Sunday in December and see how you've grown. You will be really surprised if you just do tiny little steps over the course of six, five months, however long December is. You'll see a big jump. You'll see a big growth. You'll be surprised at how much you have developed. That is our challenge. Do you guys think it's something we, we can do? Mm -hmm. Some nodding? Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, I promise we'll check out on this. It's on my phone. That's not my phone. My phone's over there. It is on the calendar, so it'll probably pop up. I'll forget about it. It'll pop up some random Sunday, and then we'll do it in December. But I want you guys to, add, to actually let's all do this together. Start small. Grow, grow, grow. Join me as you can.